What is authenticity? How do we know when we are experiencing our authentic selves? The Authenticity Experiment seeks to explore how different people experience their authentic selves and pivotal moments that led them to discover who they truly are and how they fit into the world. Hey everybody, welcome back. This week's conversation is with my friend Lori. And you'll notice throughout the course of our conversation, we go into these offshoots where both of us are almost kind of processing our thoughts out loud. And it becomes a little tangential at times, but it shows how having real conversations around authenticity and how we experience it allows us to have these deeper conversations and see where we are all connected. And I think that's the piece of this conversation that's super special to me, is that there are so many different ways that her story and mine overlap. And and we find these deeper connections that uh, help us to engage in real authentic relationship with one another. If you are interested in being on an episode of the podcast, uh, you can email me at Megan, M-E-G-A-N, at thatzona, T-H-A-T-Z-O-N-A dot life. Uh, The link to the email is in the show notes. I would love to have conversation with you and see how you experience authenticity. If you're not comfortable doing a full interview recorded, We can have a conversation via email or message, and I can read your words for you if that's where you're at right now. But I would love to showcase how so many different types of people experience authenticity in daily living. Nobody's voice is unimportant, and everybody has something to add to this conversation. So if you're interested, reach out. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lori. It was super fun for us to sit and do this. It's also one of the longest conversations that I've had around this topic. So stick around. It's full of good stuff. And thank you again for participating even by listening to The Authenticity Experiment. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Authenticity Experiment. Today, I get to have a conversation with my friend Lori, who I met in the anti-MLM space, but um, we quickly learned that we have a whole lot in common. And um, I'm just super excited to get to hear her take on some of these things and and knowing some of her journey in life and and how it lines up with mine to see if maybe some of our stuff kind of matches up even in this realm. So Lori, why don't you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself to people, tell them who you are, what you do, um, all the kind of vital information about my friends. Sure. Um, uh, My name is Lori and Let's see. Um, I'm a midlifer. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. I've I've grown up. I grew up primarily in like Ohio and New England, and then I've lived in I think eight different states and two different countries, um, and U.S. and Canada, and and that's all because of. Um, you know, family moves. And then when I, I got a job at a bank and I moved for that. And then my husband's um, job, you know, we moved around a lot for that. Um, let's see, I have two beautiful children. They're both teenagers, um, a wonderful husband and a extremely spoiled dog named Scout who's seven years old. 
and it's staring at me right now. Um, and um, really, you know, I'm so glad that Megan asked me to do this because it's so funny because honestly, pretty much since like 2018, a lot of stuff came up with my family and just, you know, family baggage is pretty common. And the one takeaway that I really kept focusing on is who am I authentically? And, you know, cause I, I think I spent the majority of my, my younger years and even in young adulthood, young momhood, uh, as a chameleon, trying to fit in whatever the conversation was and feeling very unaccepted if I had a different point of view. And, you know, one thing that just literally popped in my head is I moved to a new neighborhood. I had two young kids. Um, I was, a, I am a stay at home mom. I still am. And I had a lot of guilt about that. And I, and I remember moving into this neighborhood and trying to meet friends and, uh, you know, stumbled upon these two women that were super judgmental, but, you know, tried to include me in their stuff. And they, we went to go vote. And this was in 2008. And they were flabbergasted that I was voting for President Barack Obama. Absolutely flabbergasted. And, you know, that, that is, um, you know, authenticity to me. And I kind of kept my mouth shut, like, you know, and I, I think that, you know, maybe that's when my journey became because I always felt like I just wasn't fitting in anywhere. So, you know, I'm so glad that Megan's doing this and um, because embracing authenticity is really what it's about for me. Because if you feel unaccepted at your core, it drives a lot of other really bad feelings. So that's kind of a little bit about me, a little spin on authenticity. <laughs> What's your, what's your favorite place that you've lived? Okay. So my favorite place that I've lived would absolutely be, um, my grandmother lived in the foothills of Tryon, North Carolina. And, um, that is kind of like my childhood was pretty tumultuous, but my grandmother was always just like a stability person for me. I would spend, when I got old enough, I would fly there and spend my summers there. Um, and I love the foothills or the, the, the woods of North Carolina, because it is just so calming. And I remember at night we used to go, you know, when we go to sleep, you could, the crickets and I want to, I don't know if they're cicadas, whatever bugs are there, the sound was so loud that it would drown out like your thoughts. Like, that's why I to, to this day, I sleep with a, a wind thing, a wind noise thing. Um, because it puts me to sleep, but that sound, and I just, you know, I hope um, after the kids graduate and my husband retires and stuff, that that's where we end up somewhere in North Carolina, South Carolina, near all the trees. <laughs> so I love that. What is what is your least favorite place that you've lived? Okay, I don't want to offend anyone, but and it is is honestly Toronto, Canada, and it's not because of anybody it's not because of the people um it's because of the aesthetics the way that they build and this is I lived in the suburbs of Toronto and everything is so insanely close together um and there you know in order to escape that you kind of had to go like an hour or two hours outside of that area 
So it was that plus, unfortunately, the climate, you know, and I think um, I've lived in Ohio before too, but nine months out of the year, it's overcast, it's cold, it's dreary. Um, and unless you have um, a ton of money to go skiing and stuff, it's just, it's really hard, you know? And um, so again, the least favorite place is Toronto, but not because of the people. I made some great friends. It's a great country. You know, I think if I'd lived two hours north, I wouldn't, you know, I could have done more stuff outside. Um, it was just very, very constricted, I guess is a good word. So. Well, but that makes sense, right? If the place that you enjoyed the most was kind of this wide open space, the place yeah. that you would least connect with would be one that doesn't allow for that. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I, I grew up in Ohio and um, and I've lived in Ohio and I've lived in Arizona. And one thing I can agree with is the climate thing. I am so good on never having to shovel snow ever again in my life. <laughs> yes. yes, yeah, snow is pretty, like, that's what I said, you know, it's beautiful when it first happens. And then unless you go skiing, it just turns, it, you know, from living in Ohio, it just turns into a muddy gravel pit, salt, like to keep people alive, you know, but it just, so unless you're like, okay, we're going skiing this weekend, it's just not very fun. <laughs> so no, no. My, my daughter is obsessed with it. And I figure that's just my lot in life. So, um, so how, yeah. how do you define authenticity? You kind of gave us some pieces of how it kind of works in your brain as far as the definition goes, but how do you, how do you view it? What would you say that that is exactly? Um, I, you know, I've thought about this before the call and kind of jotted a few things down, but the, the first thing that comes to mind is if I'm around someone and we, in the MLM, anti-LMM, we talked about cognitive dissonance where you're talking to something and something feels really wrong, right? Like, or not really wrong, but somewhat wrong. So anytime that cognitive dissonance kind of pushes up against your brain and somebody is saying something you don't agree with, um, being able to stand your ground and say, this is who I am and I don't agree with that um, without losing your mind. And, you know, before I kind of got into 12 step work and therapy and stuff, I, I was definitely fight or flight. I'd fight you or I'd run away from you. So I think authenticity for me is, is owning who I am and having relationships with people and being able to disagree with them without destroying those relationships. Um, and also recognizing that there are some people that are so different from you in their views and beliefs of the world and values that it's okay that you don't have a relationship with them. And that one person would be my ex-stepmother. Um, you know, I, I have finally, that's 2018, I finally just had to break off the relationship because there was no room at all to be authentically who I was. And, you know, the other thing I thought about and wrote down about with authenticity is I truly believe the absence of like connection with other human beings causes pain. And 
you know, we all can't be social butterflies, but you, you do need to be connected to people. You know, that's where our humanity is. And if you can't feel authentic around people and they make you feel like you're unaccepted, um, that is, that causes pain too. And then you feel like the world is an unsafe place. So I, I think that's, you know, authenticity is so important because, you know, it really defines who we are as we are connected with other human beings. Connection is one of those things that I think we underestimate. And one of the things yes. that like really inspired me to start having these conversations because the world of social media has created these kind of pseudo connections, these ideas where we think that we know people based off of what minimal superficial information we're being given about them. Um, and, and we don't always have the, the bigger conversation about what's going on with folks when all we see is the kind of Pinterest best face forward kind of posting and experiencing of them. And what I have found has happened, and I don't know if this is true for you, but people that I used to talk to fairly regularly, either on the telephone or in person, or I would text fairly regularly because of social media, those interactions outside of social media have gone away because people rely on me posting something or that pseudo connection. That's just so easy to go into this place, this fear of almost fakeness and they don't bother yes. to do the reach out beyond that. Yes. I completely, completely agree. Like I was just talking to my kids about this last night, like social media, I think is a blessing and a curse. Um, it's a blessing because like you said, it uh, provides a certain level of connectivity, but that level of connectivity is for the most part superficial. And if you try to go beyond that superficial level, then you're running into, you know, talking about things online that could be hurtful to other people. So I think it, it, it you know, I just recently just two for twofold took all the social media off my phone because my phone is almost two years old and it's just killing it. Um, but the other reason is, is I hyper-focus on it for that connection, especially when tragedy occurs. Because we're all trying to grieve and process what is going on in this world. And yes, that can be helpful, but then, you know, you and I have talked about this as well um, in group chats and texts, then you go down these rabbit holes and you think, you think you're being connected with other people about it, but you're really not. You're just going down a rabbit hole of people's thoughts and you're not connecting with anyone on it. So, you know, recently, you know, as of the last couple of weeks, I've made sure that I at least texted people about this. And one person actually called and we talked and we just talked about it for like a minute, you know, just this, these are my thoughts. And then last night I made sure I talked about the tragedy and violence in the world with my kids last night they have very different views on it, very different, like polarizing and allowed them that space to say, this is what I think. And, and the other person to say, this is what I think without 
without crucifying that connection just because of different viewpoints. Um, but yeah, you're so right. And then the, the fakeness, you know, like I'm all about, you know, posting a picture of my family, having fun and doing fun things. But if you're depressed and you're sick and you have COVID or cancer or whatever, and you're online, everybody's out doing things, that's, that's soul crushing. And it's nobody's fault. It's just, it's, it's hard to see that sometimes, you know, when your life is not going well. So I completely agree with you. One of the things that, that I've been very um, mindful about is, is who, who I allow access to me as a person. So some of my social media platforms are, are very open. They're very public. They are what they are. Um, and they're, they're a lot more curated and superficial than say my, my Facebook account, which is private and it's locked down. And there are people that feel like they know me because of some other things and, and who I, who I am and how I put myself out into the weird ether sphere zeitgeist of life. Um, (laughs) but they, they, they struggle when I tell them that I'm not going to add them on my Facebook because I don't know them. I, I don't have okay. a personal connection with them. And while I might share things uh, about my child superficially on different platforms, Facebook is where I really share my child with people that don't live here um, yeah. so that they can be a part of her world and her experiencing, even though they live across the country. And I don't feel like people who don't know me should have access to that. Um, and, yeah. and there are people that get very, you know, some kind of way about, you know, they feel like we have a weird connection and I'm like, but I don't know you. <laughs> like, we don't know yes. each other like yeah. that. I don't know that you're safe. And, um, and it's really, it's one of those interesting conversations. And then, you know, I get kind of turned into a Disney villain at times, but I'm like, this is what I have to do to protect my kid, to protect me and my livelihood because of what I do for a living. Like, I don't need people in my personal life. I don't need my clients being able to find my personal business. Like, no, we're good. I'm not yeah. doing it. Yeah. I, I, so, you know, it's, you know, I don't have a, a big platform on any, on any venue. And I purposely kind of keep it that way. Like that Facebook is private. Um, you know, I have Instagram and I've dabbled in TikTok. just li- honestly as a creative outlet, just to be a silly goofball but um I definitely you know on Instagram especially block a lot of people that follow me and I'll look at their profile and it just creeps me out you know and I think that's authenticity too like you know and being able to say and I've had people friend request me from Instagram and I've declined it and even people that you know I maybe went to high school with or that just I don't feel safe around like I don't want you in my world you know and like you said people don't like that you know but that's a boundary and I think that's that's authenticity as well saying you know if I need if I'm going to keep my peace I don't I don't I don't need people I don't know in my private space no matter how wonderful they may be if you know and I totally get that that's definitely a piece of it so what are, what are some pivotal moments for you that have helped you define who you are as a person that have helped you 
find your path to the version of authentic that you are today? Um, uh, I would say um, one of the biggest ones and um, is learning how to live without alcohol. Um, you know, because I started drinking when I was 12 years old. Um, so, you know, that was my, like, it's this for my, it's so funny because the first sip of alcohol I had tasted terrible and I felt like I was going to throw up. But the feeling it gave me was like, oh, yeah, this is this is it. So being able to figure out how to live life um, and be in my feelings, that definitely was part of my journey to authenticity, because as you and I both know, alcohol is it's it's everywhere. It's like cereal, like it's, you know, it's everyone uses it and it's fine, you know, for certain people, but it wasn't fine for me. So that's one of them. I would think the other um, huge piece of my authentic journey is the birth of my children. And I know this kind of cliche, but I had no role model, you know, not to get too deep, but my, you know, my mom was paranoid schizophrenic. Um, I haven't, hadn't seen her since I was seven. And my stepmom was just very, I, I don't want to be like mean, but she just was not a nice person. Let's just put it that way. So I had no real role model. So when I had my kids, especially with my first, I had really, really, really bad postpartum depression. It actually was diagnosed as, with postpartum psychosis. Um, so I would say just deciding who I wanted to be as a mother, as a wife, as a person in society really began with the birth of my first child and realizing that I am responsible for, for not only myself, but other human beings and, and what I put out into the universe matters. Um, because, you know, before I had kids, yes, I was selfish because I was an alcoholic, you know? Um, and it just, it, it literally cat it just kind of put the fire under my butt to just get out of self to figure out who I was as a self I don't know if that makes sense I'm kind of rambling but and it, I think it all goes back to connection if I'm going to connect to these tiny little humans I better know who I am you know so that was a big one definitely when I think and, and I talked a little bit um in my my episode about me, which was really weird. Um, it's always weird when I talk about myself. Um, that idea that they become really big mirrors for us and all yes, the things that yes. we're doing that we're like, Oh no, why do I do that? It, it's always yes. because they end up doing it. Yes. Yes. Um, exactly. Like I, you know, that's, I remember my kids were young and I was trying to figure out the whole stepmom thing. And I always vowed that I'd never parent like her, but then I started doing things that she did. And that was another piece. Like you said, like, cause there are a mirror that you can see on their faces. Oh my gosh. Like I've really just hurt their feelings and I didn't mean to, but I did. And I need to figure out how not to do that. Like you can discipline and be a parent without 
hurting a child's feelings so badly that it shows on their face. Um, but yeah, absolutely. That's a huge one. The mirror of our children. And now it's, you know, as they're teenagers, some of it's funny, like, you know, like, uh, you know, I'll be like, okay, my son's a procrastinator like me, so much like me. And I'll be like, all right, you need to get this done. You need to set up a schedule. And he's like, you need to do this and you don't need to wait till the last minute. And he's like, well, mom, you always wait till the last minute on really important stuff. And you know what I mean? Like, that's just so, I'm like, oh, yes, you're right. But do as I say, not as I do, you know? So it's kind of funny too. Well, it, <laughs> so. it, it turns into that. And the reason why I'm telling you not to do it is because I know how <laughs> distressful it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, you don't, exactly. You don't want to wait till the night before something's due or, pack the night before because you're going to be you're going to lose your mind right yeah but it's that procrastination (laughs) adrenaline it's hard to move away from it yeah so you know and it's also learning as their teens to let go too like you know what you know he he does better when he's under a little bit of pressure especially with like math and all the stuff that I'm terrible at and if that's his best work then I'll just let him do it that way you know so it's funny. Um, are there any times that you can think of where you really went against who you were as a person and looking back on them thinking like, man, I really wish that I would have done that differently and more in line with my values. Oh yes. I was actually thinking about this the other day and it's small things. It's two instances where um, they both happened about, I would say seven to 10 years ago. One of them was, I was at like a small family, not family. It wasn't a family. It was a, like a friend gathering. Um, and someone was there and drunk and saying some racist stuff and, and racist jokes. You know, I would, people always like to be like, oh, it's just a joke. And rather than say, hey, that's really wrong and you shouldn't do that, I just walked away. Um, and I've forgiven myself for it because I am, I was at the time a recovering alcoholic. And, you know, you and I both know like engaging in with drunk people is just a disaster waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. So, but I do wish I at least had said something like, dude, that's really wrong. Even if you think it's funny, it's not funny. And it, you know, I wish I'd done that. And then there was another instance where I was at an airport um, and a lady and I were talking and it was right before a plane. And we were talking about the places that I'd lived. I don't know. And where she lived. And I mentioned in the area, I was like, oh yeah, I like that area. And we talked about like, oh yeah, we like this place. We like that place. And then she said, I like that place because it's very homogenous. And it, it took me a minute. I was like, oh my God, you know, this lady is a racist, you know? And I just, I look, I look back at that moment and, you know, our plane was called and I just was like dumbfounded. My mouth kind of gaped open and I didn't say anything to her. And again, it's another, I think authenticity for me also goes back to, you know, the topic that has been on hand, especially since that faithful, you know, horrible incident in June of 2020 um, with George Floyd, how up when people do crappy things, right? And racist things. And 
you know, so those, those are, those are instances and I know, and a part of it is just confidence, self-esteem and not wanting to start a fight with someone and, you know, them do the whole, oh, I'm just joking. You're too sensitive thing. Cause that, that's just a huge trigger for me from my childhood, you know, people putting me down and saying you're too sensitive when, you know, I would get upset. Um, so knowing in my gut, when I, you know, go forward in life, when situations has arise, I have enough confidence to stand up and say, that is wrong. Do not say that. Um, so those are the two instances. I was just thinking about it this week as well because of everything that's happened. Well, and, and I think what you just, what you described is something that a lot of folks experience and we're all very aware of the fight or flight. And then, you know, people don't understand that when you grow up in high conflict situations where you have a hypercritical parent or like legitimate conflict, right? Yelling, screaming, whatever, whether it's parents, siblings, whatnot. When you grow up in high conflict and you have somebody who is super hypercritical or super targeting of you as an individual, you do start to develop that freeze response. Because as a kid, you can't handle that emotional flooding and you can't handle the back and forth. Like, am I, you know, that, that inconsistency and freeze is something that people kind of understand. They think it's more common than what it is, but the only way we normally see it is in the animal kingdom, um, playing possum. Right. But there's a fourth response that is in line with um, what we know as is people-pleasing behaviors, and that's fawning. That is going along to get along in order to avoid conflict with another individual, especially an individual who we know to be problematic and to treat us poorly. So if we kind of almost become their yes man or a suck up in some way, that they will not come after us. And we learn to do that inside of those situations that make us go, wait, what did you just say? Like, did you really just say that to me? Yes, yes, yes. And thinking, I guess that's, you said everything. Like I definitely, you know, was fight or flight or a fawn. You know, I, you know, even I went to a, I went to a very, um, because I went to a school that was in the South and um, in Spartanburg, South Carolina, because it was 30 minutes from my grandmother and it was a small liberal arts school. And I came from Maine, the state of Maine. Um, there was like very, there was no diversity at all. Um, and maybe there were some, but again, you know, blind spots, you know, I was just trying to survive in my high school of just insanity and my home life and insanity. So I didn't really see anything beyond that. Um, there was a lot of socioeconomic diversity, a ton of poverty. I mean, people without running water, huge disparities. Um, so then I went to this kind of wealthy liberal arts school and There were instances where people, and again, I drank a lot. And so, but like would say like the N word or whatever. And, you know, I would just be like, oh, you know, but I would run, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be around that. Um, And then there were instances where I just heard like stories of, you know, fraternities 
doing things that were racist and I, I never witnessed them, but I also was like, I had so many blind spots and I was just, you know, flashbacks of just not really socializing with people that weren't like me and not intentionally, but because I was thrust into this liberal arts, arts, arts school, joined a sorority and that was my connection. And, and it, I, I will say like, I felt the most inauthentic in college in my entire life. Um, and that's where I developed a lovely drinking habit on top of rampant anorexia, you know, because then that, then that forced me to kind of just be a chameleon, but also I could isolate and retreat into running a lot and not eating. And then people being like, not really wanting to be around me because I appeared to be slightly nuts, you know, with all that eating, you know, just walking around like a skeleton and that kind of stuff. Like I purposely want, you know, push people away if that makes sense. But yes, absolutely. And I think one of the things that helps us in, in adulthood is moving away even from that need to fit in, right? Like instead of looking at an ideal and saying, I need to meet that ideal, it becomes more of this is who I am. Where are my other weirdos? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where are my people? Like, I know they're out there somewhere. It can't just be me. Exactly. No. And, you know, I'm so glad you said that because that's the blessing of social media is you find your other weirdos, right? Like, Mm -hmm. as much as I detest that I was in, you know, Beachbody and multi-level marketing, I wouldn't have found you, right? You know, because we connected on the end, you know, like, so I've let go of so much of that shame because I don't think I would have found my other weirdos, my other people that are like, yeah, I do this too. And that's really weird, but we all do it. Right. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think like when we are able to foster those real connections with people that we might, and and you and I are used to it, right. Cause we, we come from a place of, we hang out with people that if we didn't have this one thing in common, then none of us would ever have talked to one another. Like exactly. that's just legitimate. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot easier. And I think part of what helps us foster those connections is, is that we don't rest on the superficial crap, right? And yes. and in our little group of 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 women who have these conversations at times it's, it's never anything light. It's always like, Hey guys, this is this gigantically heavy thing that I'm dealing with. What yes, do you yes. think? Yes. And then, and then all the apologies start, especially yes. from you. I know. You don't ever need to apologize for asking for support from your people. I know that <sighs> it's funny because, uh, yeah, because that's, that's another go-to thing too. Like, you know, like, you know, well, and I guess it's partly to, and I, I will love myself for this. I don't ever want anyone to feel excluded or intentionally hurt or, you know what I mean? Or marginalized or whatever. And that does, that does per, give, you know, I, that sorry, like if I, even if someone has a look on their face or whatever, like I just, that like, and I, that's just blessing and a curse for me too you know I want everyone to feel 
accepted, right? You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, and of course, you know, and I think that's a good thing because, you know, as we can see, people are generally, I don't think are like that. They want to be in charge and full of power and that kind of thing. So yeah, that does push me to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> so. And I, and I get that, right. But part of, part of what I foster, try to foster in individuals is this idea that we don't, unless we are intentionally being harmful, if we are intentionally unwilling to grow and learn and change, we cannot possibly know every single person's boundaries and every single person's reaction to what we're about to say or do. And as adults, this is when we get to have those conversations of, hey, when you said X, Y, and Z, it kind of was offensive to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, you're so, it's so funny that you said that because I don't know how many times people have said that to me in some or other or therapist saying, you need to stop trying to control your environment. Like, you know, be who you're going to be. And if you don't intentionally hurt someone, it's okay. You know, it's up to them to say, Hey, you hurt my feelings. Just like it's up to me to say, Hey, you hurt my feelings. And, and I, you know, I have like, but you know, being married, you know, like you can't be married without hurting other people's feelings. Like it's impossible. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I was first married, I was super passive aggressive. Right. I never told my husband when he hurt my feelings because it was so much easier to slam cupboards and ignore him and pout and act like I was five years old. But now today we're much more easy. We're able, he'll say something to me and I'll be like, it takes me a minute. You know, I still pat a little bit, but then I'll be like, Hey, that hurt my feelings. What did you mean by that? And same, and I'm just as guilty. He's, you know, in the beginning of our marriage, he said, I treated him like he had no feelings. And I didn't even realize I was doing that because he's such a strong centered individual that is so incredibly confident. I really didn't think he had any feelings. You know, I, I know in the beginning of our marriage, I really did see him like that. So remembering that, you know, you know, all of us being connected, that it's okay if you hurt someone's feelings, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? Um, and we will work it out if we learn how to communicate. Well, one of the, so I went on a, a women's spiritual retreat, like it, it had to have been about 10 years now. And um, one of the things that they do is they, they don't let you have your phone and they don't let you have a watch and they don't have any clocks. And like the people that are in charge are the only people who know what time it is and what you're doing next and all of these things. And anytime you ask, you would ask what's next or what time is it or what's going on and da, 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 da. The theme was don't anticipate just participate oh I need to go on that <laughs> and I'm going to tell you so like it, it it has these weird like cultish dynamics I'm not going to lie like that's that's Everything a weird does. thing right <laughs> but for those three days it was really cool to not have to worry about what am I supposed to do next or where am I supposed to be or what time is it or who's calling me or any of that. I just got to sit and focus on me and developing um, my own spirituality and my own relationship with self and how I fit in the world. And it was really cool. And I watched so many people struggle with it. 
and and so now in my in my day-to-day living there are times when i'll be like okay what's next what's next what's that? like where do i head tomorrow what and i'll be like no megan don't anticipate just participate and that's also how i approach interactions because if i'm constantly yeah. anticipating other people's reactions i'm not fully participating in the conversation i love that phrase and that it's funny that you said cultish but like I, first of all, that sounds like amazing and scary at the same time, but I do, you know, like that is so helpful. Like that is now that is a phrase I will be using in my head, especially when I meet new people or in anything, you know what I mean? In, in conversations with my own family, you know, cause I'm very guilty of anticipating and cutting people off and being like, blah, 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 you know, and just kind of you know, directing the conversation because I wanted to move along or whatever. That's really helpful. And the the thing about, you know, I was just, I was actually just texting with a friend or uh, two friends. And I said something about, we were just talking about, you know, connecting and staying sober. And I said, if I hadn't gotten sober, I would definitely be in a cult right now because that cult provides that sense of connection, right? But everything in a way in this world is a little bit culty. If you're connect, you know what I mean? If you're connecting with anything, you kind of need to be like, okay, I'm connecting with this. I need it to be, you know, I need it to be a, like a higher power God or whatever. I need, you almost need that kind of structure and that I'm putting this first in order to survive in this world. That's kind of where I'm at with it. So it's the perversion for me, a true cult or consumer cult is the perversion of that connection mm-hmm. is where it becomes kind of not so good. So I have one last question. And this is the one that I think stymies a lot of people. Uh-oh. Um, and I don't always remember to ask it, but I, I'm remembering text. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to ask that. Cause you know, my own brain goes whoa, whoa, whoa sometimes. What are two things about you today that you absolutely love oh I knew you're gonna say love (laughs) it's so much easier to answer it if it's two things I can't stand um (sighs) um well I would say I love the fact that I have a very dry um, a sense of humor and because I not only I, I do love to make people laugh and I love to make myself laugh and not in a sarcastic way I used I used to use sarcasm like a you know a weapon now it's more laughter you know at myself but not in a self-deprecating way you know like I have and it's true I am directionally insane like I really it's just as oh I've always been like that and it's funny like the other day I was trying to go meet some women for lunch and the place was literally right in front of me and I could not find it like it was you know how the buildings are like so we were all laughing about that so just laughing at who we are like we're we're humans we're flawed and some of those flaws aren't serious like so I get a little turned around or, you know, I'm clumsy, whatever. So that's one. And 
I would say that my other one would be my compassion. Um, you know, and I'm sure as a therapist, you are well aware with the term compassion fatigue, but I will, I don't ever want to be a non-compassionate person or desensitized to the tragedy, like of the world. I want to hear the news and still be broken over it because the minute that I'm not broken over horrible things that happen is the minute I've lost my humanity like um and before you know I used to numb all of that you know and pain is is a part of life so I would definitely say compassion even though that some days it's you know it's wiped me on my feet you know because I do absorb a lot absorb people's pain um and I don't mean that in a godlike way I mean that in a true authentic way that when someone else is in pain and I see it in the news or even on social media with people posting about stuff. Like, um, it, it, I, it hits me, it hits me like a, a thump to my chest. And again, another blessing and a curse, but I don't, I don't ever want that to change. I don't, because then, then that, then I won't be me. So. See, you That's did it. fine figuring that out. Yes, I know. I know. I, you know, it's, yeah, it's funny because the text I also sent to my friends earlier, I was like, I won't join a cult today. I said, because I'm a hot girl and I do hot girl things. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I do have, uh, I've, I've grown a little bit. I've got confidence. So, and confidence is an ego. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and having this conversation with me and being one of my first little guinea pigs. You were one of the first people to be like, I I'll do this. Let's do this. And I appreciate your willingness. And, um, I, I just, I just love talking to you. I think you're an amazing human and I'm glad that I get to call you one of my friends. Me too. And I was Megan, thank you so much. And you helped me like I feel like in a way, it's a little bit of a therapy session. And, you know, I really, I think you're a brilliant therapist, like everything you share online and just, you know, in your podcast and in your podcast with Roberta, like you just, you really are one of the good ones. And I am so glad that we're friends and that we, even though the circumstances that led up to us meeting were crappy, I'm so glad that we did. And I wouldn't change that for the world. So Absolutely. Thank you again for joining us for this edition of the Authenticity Experiment. Everything you need to know will be linked in the show notes, especially how to get in touch with our guests from today if you are interested in finding ways to connect with them more and ways to connect with me if you are interested in having this conversation yourself. I appreciate all of you who have taken the time to support this project, and I will see you down the road.